This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. And I am joined today by some uh, fellow physicians, Drs. May and Tim Hinmarsh, who are obviously a married couple who are both practicing uh, family practice physicians. And uh, I met them when I was on their podcast. So they host a podcast called BS Free MD. And when I was on there, we realized we just kind of had a lot in common and thought a lot about the same, thought in the same way about a lot of things. And so I thought it would be cool to have that on, on my show and uh, just kind of have some open discussion. And so um, that's what we're going to do today is just have some open discussion. And just like uh, their title, BS Free MD, there's really no title or no topics, uh, rather off limits here. So uh, anyway, doctors May and Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. We're happy to be here. I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, appreciate it. Well, the first question I have for you guys is, so when, when we chatted, um, when y'all were interviewing me, I realized that, you know, like myself, you guys are, are not, or at least you question a lot of the quote, conventional medicine as I do. And so I'm, I'm curious, at least as it pertains to COVID and, and maybe some other things that we talked about. And, and there's just, there's not a lot of physicians who do that. You know, I practiced the more conventional medicine, quote, evidence-based medicine for many, many years. And, and like a lot of doctors, if somebody, you know, questioned me or found something online, I'd be like, Oh no, you know, I practice evidence-based medicine. And so I find that most doctors think that way and aren't willing to think outside the box. And, and you guys, seem very open to thinking outside the box. And so uh, I'm just curious when, when y'all started thinking that way and did that come at about the same time for both of you or was it different? Well, wait, can I jump in first, Tim? He's, Tim's, Tim's going to say something, but I think I, I, when I think back in time, I think I was there first and I would get passionate about looking at some, now we call them, we used to call them what cams or complementary alternative medicines or alternative medicine. And now it's like integrative, I think is the term, but I, I was sort of looking at that more with my patients. And I remember Tim kind of going, eh, a lot of that's voodoo. I don't know if I believe this. And um, so I think I was there first, but things have really changed a lot in the last, what, five to 10 years um, where Tim's, and I both, you know, we left, I left family practice just because in 2010, just because I was getting so frustrated with the regulations and things that I wanted to do with patients. Just like we talked with you about spend time um, in the office, doing the important thing, like talking to them about putting in the physical therapy, the back rehab, the massage, using these modalities, educating them on how to um, lose the weight. I mean, you just didn't get paid for it. And in fact, we just get punished because they want us to push through patients that 
you could bill for. And, and finally, I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. And I actually opted out and went into urgent care where I, because I do like we love acute care and that's what you we were trained in is actually seeing sick people. And that because I was frustrated that I couldn't actually sit there and take the time to educate my patients in the corporate model that we are in. And it kind of, you know, I didn't have the stones to do what you did and just like leave and set up my own practice. So um, anyway, to the question, I started uh, having a bigger interest in more alternative integrative things and would try things out on myself, Tim, not so much at initially, but now that's changed. So go ahead. Well, no, it's, I think there's way more to it than that. I mean, my background is I sat on every, almost every board we had, um, you know, from, you know, president of the medical staff of our small rural hospital to the parent board of a, a billion dollar a year, multi, multi-specialty, multi-hospital integrative uh, delivery network, uh, pharmacy and therapeutics and, um, you know, quality assurance for our insurance companies that we owned. And so I had been calling BS pretty vigorously for years and years um, with regards to the corporatization. Well, no, we can't do that because we have to get paid. Well, we can't do that because we have to get paid. And as my brother so eloquently brought up in a meeting once, it, so what you're saying is we do stuff because we get paid. It's kind, and, but, but we, we can't, we can't question the moral ethics of, of what we're doing. It's sort of like a whore just taking the money and never having the guts to actually ask whether the act for which she gets paid is morally ethical or not. That went over incredibly well, as you can imagine. <laughs> and, and so Tim's I, known for speaking what everyone's thinking, but it doesn't have but, but are, to say, but are too scared to, to <laughs> say too it. Smart? I don't know. And that, that's well, yeah. Or too smart. Cause that's it. That sword cuts with two edges, that's for sure. So, you know, the integrative part, I call BS on that forever because I think that, you know, there isn't integrative medicine. There isn't complementary medicine. It's medicine. It either works or it doesn't work. And, and so, you know, if, if an NAD infusion, which we're super interested in, works and there's evidence that it works, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but it's medicine, okay? If diet and exercise works, you can call it personal training or whatever you want to call it, but it's living a high, healthy lifestyle, which is the most important thing you can do for your own personal health. So we kind of put these marketing names around stuff. And I mean, there was stuff going on inside this, you know, billion dollar year company where we had alternative and complementary physicians who were MDs and DOs. I mean, these were not naturopaths or whatever. And they're doing stuff that's just completely insane, like where there's zero evidence, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll capture the cigarette smoke in a bottle and we'll waft it around the back of your head and then you'll quit smoking. I mean, it's freaking voodoo. Right. And so that's BS, but they do it because they get paid. Mm -hmm. And what absolutely, I mean, I, I liken this to a religious conversion experience. Like you hear the story once and you think it's kind of crazy. And then you see people live their life and you go, you know, I want to be more like that guy. And then eventually, you know, you're at the crusade and you're at the front of the, you know, altar and now you now now you've given your life to, to God kind of thing. Right. And and really the kind of altar call moment for me to put that into sort of Christianized terms was really when we interviewed Harvey Risch, who's uh, um, an Yale epidemiologist, and he just recently retired. And basically what he said is these guys have controlled all the data. In other words, big pharma, the big medical companies control all the data. 
and they drive evidence-based medicine. So it's really a, a cabal of the payers, the government, and the pharma companies. So evidence, so I literally in this, like where I had my conversion experience was really in the last six months or so where I put all that together. And, you know, we, I know we discussed this when you were on our show, which was evidence-based medicine is just corporate-based medicine. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's a payment model where they control the studies and they tell you what to do. So we're the ones that should control medicine. We're the ones that sacrificed our young adulthood to go to medical school and stayed up all night and, you know, got scared to death doing, you know, resuscitations in the middle of the night as interns and, and all of those things. But somehow we gave that away. And that just like, I'm like that I am completely done with. Yeah. <laughs> and I may have long done with that probably 10 years ago. So as I continue on this journey and learn and, and, you know, read books and interview people on this podcast, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning more and more about how bad uh, our quote conventional medical system is. Now I'm not anti-medicine. I mean, if somebody has strep throat, you know, they need antibiotics. I'm not saying it's all bad, you know? Um, I mean, I'm we were talking before we started recording. I mean, I'm probably you know, poor attendant. I'm going to have to have surgery. You know, I'm not, I'm not anti-medicine, but the way that, that I guess medicine is practiced now to where it's all about the money. They don't really care about making people healthy. The, the more I, that I learn, the uglier it gets. Is that kind of what, what y'all are seeing as well as, as you're on this journey and, and you guys are into this? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, unfortunately, when the scales fall from your eyes, the sun becomes very bright. Mm. And, and that's good, good analogy. Yeah. That, that's kind of the experience we're in now. And, and I think what really what our job is to do is, is to give people the sunglasses to be able to see through the blinding BS mm -hmm. and, and navigate what's what works. Because again, um, great quote. I borrowed it from Robert Yoho, who borrowed it from God knows who, which is just because there's problems with the airline industry doesn't mean magic carpets can fly. Hmm. So just because conventional medicine is really screwed up in a lot of ways doesn't mean that there, there aren't, you know, great chemotherapeutic agents for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't get a hip replacement or you shouldn't get antibiotics for certain infections. Yeah. You know, so, so you can't throw all of the baby out with the bathwater. But on the other, but on the other side, it doesn't mean you just accept stuff just because it's alternative. Like it's like two things like that. That's been one of the biggest frustrations I've had during COVID, which is two things can be true at the same time. The vaccines could have saved a bunch of lives and they could be the greatest public health disaster in the history of the world. Both those things can be true. The question is, we'll probably never get clean enough data to know if that's the case, but you still have to be open enough to understand that that's the case. We may have been saving lives initially with it, and we may be killing people with it now. We don't know. I think the frustrating thing for me doing, I, I, I don't kind of like what you said. I don't know that I consider myself an alternative uh, medical doctor, but probably most of my colleagues would consider me alternative just because I'm, God forbid, you know, advocating for some nutritional uh, or, or dietary, you know, interventions and not just throwing medications and therefore I'm, you know, alternative. But uh, the, the frustrating thing, if you're not doing what everybody else is doing, then now all of a sudden you're labeled as a voodoo or quack. Matter of fact, we just had a, somebody post on our Facebook page, um, just, I think it was yesterday who wasn't even our patient. We've never even seen before. Uh, and, and said, these, 
these doctors, matter of fact, they may have word, used the word voodoo. These doctors are voodoo because uh, they were uh, treating people with, with medications for COVID, you know, stay away. They're going to do you harm. It was something like that. And, and so it's frustrating that if you dare to think outside the box or go outside the box, then you're put in the same category as those people that, as you mentioned, are waving smoke around somebody's head to get them to quit doing cigarettes. I mean, they, you know, a lot of the, the, the healthcare community for sure views all that in kind of, you know, one, one category. So it's frustrating. Yeah, you know, I sit back with a bird's eye view and kind of think it's funny how it seems to come full circle or it, you know, applies only to certain instances. Like I think back to when we were first out of residency and the focus was on, you know, preventative and uh, medicine and lifestyle medicine. And so, yes, medicine is, you know, is do you need a surgery? Do you need a prescription? I mean, that's kind of the traditional model, right? Of medicine is dessert. Do you need a pill for that? Do you need a surgical procedure for that? But then a lot of times, you know, we know things like obesity and diabetes and hypertension can be reversed. And we were taught, yeah, emphasize lifestyle modifications, right? Which was acceptable. Try to get them to put their shoes on, to go for a walk, try to coach your patients on their diet, try to watch sodium, reduce stressors. I mean, heck, we do that for people that want, that have trouble with sleeping. I mean, we don't just want to throw sleeping pills at them. It's like modify your, you know, all these things we focus on decreasing your blue light time before bed, relax, don't exercise right before, you know, all these lifestyle modifications in certain circumstances are acceptable, but then take something, for instance, like COVID, COVID hits. And if you haven't forbid would talk about maybe you should start to lose weight and exercise, even though the gym's closed, do things you can to improve your health, take your vitamin, make sure your vitamin D and vitamin C levels are adequate. Get the crap out of your diet so that your immune system is better. Oh, yeah, maybe, you know, we can treat once you do get COVID. These are the things that we know will help fight viruses off. And we have these other medications that have been proven to be safe and effective forever that might supplement that, including, you know, the hydroxychloroquine. It was like you were considered like told, like what you said, voodoo medicine quackery, if you wanted to encourage that instead of just there's only one way it's the vaccine or hospitalization. Right, I mean, it, right. it's just ridiculous. And we don't do that at, or we haven't been encouraged to do that in anything else. So for me, that was like, this does not make sense, this traditional way. And so on one hand, it's like, yeah, doctors should be focusing more on these things. On another hand, no, you can't. And yeah, I mean, it's a silly. I, so, but what's the traditional way? Because I think, you know, to, to go back 50 and 100 years, like I think really the golden age of medicine was probably started in the 50s because we had adequate anesthesia. So you could, you know, do a surgery. You could take somebody's appendix out and not kill them. You had, you know, the dawn of antibiotics. So, you know, women didn't die in childbirth from a post, you know, postpartum infection. You know, all, you know, you had blood donation. We had blood typing. We had, you know, I think, I think actual medicine, medicine where you save people's lives, they get sick and you save them honestly, probably peaked at about 1960. And the rest have been incremental improvements, some dramatic improvements. Like I think the treatment of, um, you know, leukemias and lymphomas has been pretty dramatic, but almost everything else we do is super, super expensive. It does hardly anything when you really look at it from a big picture perspective. So now we have the diseases of the 20th and 21st century, which are largely lifestyle mediated. You know, people smoke too much, they drink too much, they're too fat, they don't do enough, et cetera, et cetera. But now we have all these extra diseases. So now we have extra medications 
that basically give you license to live a crappy life. So, I mean, that's when I left primary care. It's like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to be judged on what somebody's hemoglobin A1C is when their hemoglobin A1C is really their problem. Right. <laughs> but, right. but if I, if I prescribe them tons more insulin, which will actually be have a negative effect ultimately on their longevity and their functionality, because it's going to yep. make it harder for them to lose fat, but it's going to get their A1C in order. Ergo, I'm going to need a metric, which is going to make me personally more money and my system that I work for significantly more money, but basically F over the patient. Well, that's okay. Because, you know, everyone's happy except the patient. The pharma company's happy that makes super expensive insulin when insulin is like 100 years old. Like, you know, beef pork insulin is 100 years old. But we'll take it and we'll genetify it and, pro, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, do recombinant technology and patent it and make it like ridiculously expensive, even though it's an ancient medication. The, uh, no one does the lifestyle stuff, so we'll forget about that. And then we'll, 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 get, we'll go one step further and we'll you know, create monoclonal antibodies that are you know, uh, going to screw with your metabolism because your metabolism is all screwed up and do all of these things that are super duper duper expensive when you know, basically intermittent fasting and going for a walk would have profoundly more total health effects than like a patient I saw in urgent care a couple of years ago. I totaled up all of his medications, just retail price, and they're about $1,800 a month. So that was for insulins. He had one of the novel diabetic agents, uh, you know, the usual cholesterol pills, the adjuvants to the cholesterol pills, the, you know, three or four blood pressure medicines, all of this stuff. And his A1C was still like, I don't know, it's like 10 or something. And I go, well, this guy none of this is working. Like, does anyone look at this globally and go, what we're doing is not working. Like it's clearly not, like if you did nothing, what his hemoglobin A1C is going to be 20. No, it's going to be 13, but now it's 11 for the low, low price of 1800 bucks a month. Right. And then, and I literally said in my head, who is the moron that's prescribing this? And I looked and it was the endocrinologist. Mm. Like it wasn't like one of us dopey country family doctors. It was the <laughs> endocrinologist. And I'm like, like, does no one take a big picture of you and go, well, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not working. We have to do something differently. And the answer is absolutely they don't. Absolutely not. No. So back to my original question, uh, May, you said you kind of, you know, caught onto this a little earlier and left primary care. So what was the conversations like between you two, maybe at home? I mean, Tim, were you like, look, we're family practice doctors, we need to act like it and you're crazy or because uh, fortunately, for me and my wife, I, when I kind of had this epiphany, well, she was only working part time, but I mean, she was very open to a lot of ideas and, and, and she's like, yeah, you know, the standard of care does kind of suck. And, you know, as, as I kind of went on my journey and researched, and she was just kind of came along with me. And, and, and so now we both kind of think and practice the same, the same way. But when you started that, May, what was the conversation like between you two? I would, I don't know, maybe Tim remembers this better. I think I'm just thinking as far as some of the stuff would be, I was thinking of myself as my own guinea pig in some ways with regards to some of my personal health problems where I would try some alternative things, orthopedic injuries, sports injuries, athletic injuries, trying different modalities, um, as well as patients. And I just remember, you know, Tim would kind of laugh at some of the things you go, well, as long as it's not harmful, I mean, 
it could be helpful for sure. I think as far as me then switching over to the urgent care side, I was actually thinking of something as it was, it's kind of a two pronged thing. One is, you know, we, when we were trained, we did, and we came out of residency, we were family country doctors that took care of patients like in office, in hospital, did ICU, would do ER call in small towns. We, we ran, you know, did the vents and we took care of people like with high acuity type stuff, call that. And I missed that part of it, but I think the freeing part of switching to urgent care as well from um, what we were doing in family practice where I was getting fed up was I had more control in a way in urgent care because they're not monitoring you the same. So I had more control to be able to take my time. And like, so someone had to wait it two hours because it was just like, you know, walk, it's a walk-in approach and you had to wait to be seen. It's first come first serve. And so there was never this, I have a time schedule that I have to stick to and they're going to be reviewing and clicking the metrics boxes. So, um, and we're in a smaller community. So it allowed me to say, okay, someone's coming in with their migraine. I treat their acute migraine. And I'm like, oh, I know a lot about migraine because I'm a lifelong migraine sufferer. Let's talk about some things you could do to help. And so I could coach them on the counseling and alternative things. This acupuncturist is great. I think you should do this with your diet. This supplement works really helpful. Um, same thing with, with other things we saw with patients. And so that allowed me freedom to integrate more of that. And I found that was really freeing for a while, for a few years, and then things started to, to trickle over. But back to our conversations at home, um, I think we always bounce a lot of ideas off each other. He, Tim really likes to pick through the weeds and call BS on things. Um, it was never really... I don't know. Can you remember any times when it was really confrontational or weird? I don't think well, so. But no, but I mean, it's easy to it's easy to sit here and look at companies and say they only care about money, which I think is largely true. But but at the same time, you know, May worked part time for her entire career. She worked full time a little bit, but not not very much. And I was the primary breadwinner. And it's like, OK, so now I got like three different, you know, I got a primary job and, you know, one and a half side gigs that I'm doing for this company. And so to just, you know, kind of give them the finger and walk away is, you know, financially so destructive that, yeah. you know, you sit there. But at the same time, do you do you really believe what you say you believe? And, you know, we became we came to the point like we ended up working for two fairly large companies before we really understood the verse that says, you know, what does a man inherit if he you know inherits the entire world but loses his soul? And the answer is, well, absolutely nothing. I mean, actually less than nothing. And there was a point where you real, you start to realize, and you know, the earlier people realize this, it's kind of like investing for retirement. The sooner you do it, the better you are. If you if you realize that you're trading your soul for money, then you have to do something else. And it does not really matter what that something else is. It doesn't matter if you're selling used cars or you are a you know a host or hostess at a restaurant. If it gives you your soul back, there's no amount of money you can give for that. And that took me a long time to figure out and we're still figuring it out to be honest with you because you know the podcasting has been amazing like just the people we've met in a year and a half not even a year and a half has completely altered our lives you know you used to think this work-life balance which is works work kind of sucks and i have to give up some of my soul at work but i'll find balance doing other things and that worked for a while when work was okay but there's thresholds like work has to not be immoral. 
you know, when I was delivering tons of babies and working in the ICU and seeing sick patients, patients, and then I'd get really tired and burned out because I worked really hard and I'd go skydiving on the weekend and windsurfing and hang out with my family. That was fine. That was work-life balance. But when you reach the moral side where you realize what you're doing now is not just unpleasant. And, and the quote I, I came up with is doing unpleasant things for money is a job. Doing immoral things for money makes you a whore. And when I realized that I was a whore, then, then it, it didn't matter what I did after that. It just mattered that I didn't do left the brothel is the oh. only thing that mattered. Yeah. I think COVID really, when COVID hit and we were working, we're both doing urgent care for this company, large, very large group. Um, the urgent care docs by default became the COVID, I would say not experts, but we got to deal with all things that seemed to be COVID, could be COVID, you know, hinted of COVID because nobody would want to touch that. So what they did was we revamped the whole organization where we literally had one site where anybody could go to that had potentially had COVID to get screened, you know, tested, seen. Um, it was like this massive you know, now it just seems crazy process. But it was actually brilliant. But it, I mean, it, it was really the way yeah. you should not knowing the contagion, how dangerous it was, et cetera. Splitting right. things out like that was actually really a brilliant. Concept. So um, I was going to say, so, so we did that. It was really pretty cool. And then, yeah, by default, you know, we did all the telehealth and screening and testing. And so we had to get up on that as far as what's going on, what's working, what's not. And then, you know, months into it and as time went on, like, why aren't we allowed, you know, why aren't we allowed to be actually proactive in getting, talking to patients about things they can do to be healthy? And some of us would sort of off, off label, not advertise it. We would, you know, because we're seeing our patients, it's between us and the patient, but they would ask about things. Is there something I can take? Do I just have to literally go home and hang out and wait to be hospitalized? And, you know, our group was not very proactive and it's like pushing the vaccine and nothing else. And that's when partway into this, we were like, okay, if we're just relying on this vaccine and not anything else to keep people healthy, this is crazy because we would see people with the flu and give them more advice than we're doing with COVID. I mean, yeah. we tell people, you know, everything from chicken soup to Zycam to zinc to right. um, all that, but we're not allowed to with it. And that's when I, I just said, this is, this is so wrong. Yeah, I can't. Go, go home. Hope you don't die. If you yeah. are about to die, go to the ER. That, that was, that's, <laughs> pretty much standard the, advice. I think the most glaringly ridiculous thing in COVID was, you know, we started this, you know, little shoestring clinic in the small town we live in. You know, um, one of our former residents, he's like, I'm going to go independent. I'd like you guys to help me. You got some credibility in the community, whatever. And we're like, sure, we'll help you. So we just started looking into getting monoclonal antibodies. We went to the Oregon Health Authority and we said, hey, can we get these? You know, you, you want to start spinning them off. And so this was just kind of during the Delta surges when we opened the clinic. And at one point, okay, we're in a town of 11,000 people. We have, we have four providers and, and we were getting the largest allocations in the entire state because we asked and because people were freaking out because they could actually come in and get an infusion. And we weren't scared to see them when they were sick. And we weren't telling their three-year-old that they had to not be seen because they might have COVID when they had an ear infection. So it was it was amazing. And, and we didn't have to go down the ivermectin train or the hydroxychloroquine train or any of these other things where, you know, you would kind of raise the suspicions of the regulators. We used EUA drugs that were available 
All you have to do is two things. You have to be willing to see sick people and you have to be willing to ask for the allocations of the monoclonal antibody. And I was like, this is disgusting. How in the world can you not get this at a freaking 7-Eleven? When you saw how unbelievably effective some of these monoclonals were for these different variants, it was like, holy, and, and they're safe. You know, yeah, there's no spike protein. There's say, no, there's no mRNA. There's just, there's just antibody. But, I mean, it's like, are you, ha, ha. like, you can say what you want about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in the debate and how muddy the waters have been, but we had it really effective agents that just no one asked for. Yeah. That plus, I would say even the basic, I mean, we use the FLCCC, you know, mask plus protocol. And from, we were printing out pages of that and also supplementing, you know, because some people didn't want monoclonals, didn't qualify. There was a few, but we'd be counseling them on what they could do, where to get this, these vitamins. And, and, and people are so thankful for that because like, well, I, I would talk to my doctor, did a tell, they tell me nothing. And I'm like, this is crazy. Well, I mean, we're physicians, healthcare providers. We're supposed to be there for our patients, no matter what, to help them. I mean, here's some options, at least. I, I mean, well, yeah, we could talk about COVID all day, but let me, I want to ask you about BS or no BSMD. Um, when did that, um, when did y'all kind of think that up? And, you know, what was the um, the thought process there when you all you know, just say, let's, let's start a, let's start a podcast or, um, you, you know, tell us about, you know, why you guys did that. And then I want to ask specific questions about, you know, kind of who y'all interview and stuff. Well, let's say not, it wouldn't be blame it on COVID. It'd be thank COVID. So literally what happened was we were ready to go on our annual vacation. It was supposed to be to Florida. We had it booked for April 1st and COVID came in in March and all of a sudden, boom, things shut down. And uh, long story short, we, nobody was traveling anywhere. And we got furloughed at home for two weeks till we revamped the system and at our work. And they were figuring out how they're going to handle COVID and how we're going to see patients and who, et cetera. So uh, because everything kind of closed down and we said, well, we've, we're going to be on vacation anyway. We'll stay at home. And we're at home watching the news, watching everything, right? Just with, along with the whole world, watching what's happening. And we were getting bombarded by our friends with questions and family. It's like, oh, what do you think of this? What do you know? And so next thing we know, we thought, well, let's just put on Facebook. And we started doing some Facebook lives from our house. And we did them weekly, twice a week, a couple of times. I mean, and we were getting, what was the first hit we got the first couple of times? Yeah, I think, I think we had over 200 like live viewers the first, which I, I didn't know anything about this. And apparently, like, if you have 200 live viewers, that's like thousands in in actual uh downloads and i, I think we had ten thousand views in the first 12 hours yeah, was or something nuts. like this and i'm oh. like Holy crap this is like i don't know much about this and i didn't even have to take my shirt off and like swim <laughs> naked in a pool <laughs> and so we started doing these to just keep people up to speed on what we knew as we saw the information and from all the research and um answering questions and people were so hungry for it so it got popular and we had been talking about doing a podcast before that we had actually literally before COVID hit, we had been sort of brainstorming. So then this started happening. And then by the late summer, that fall, we we're like, okay, I guess, Hey, people are going to listen to us. Why the heck not? And so we got actually connected our, through our financial planner had a podcast. And then he started this network. Uh, it was called DPN. Um, 
Doctor Doctor Podcast Network, right? And they connected a bunch of like-minded people together and got this thing going, which it's recently separated. But many podcasts, I'm sure you've heard of, were part of that. So it really got the ball rolling. So that by January of 2021, we launched the podcast, and we, you know, owe it all really to the the live streams we did with our friends and family that give us the security to do that because doing live stream is much to, more difficult than recording. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just if the for us, we the the thought process behind BS Free MD is that we always are having conversations back and forth. I mean, our poor kids suffered at the dinner table in life. You know how that goes when you have sure. husband and wife that talk about this stuff all the time. And so we always and, and coincidentally, neither of them are medical. <laughs> we always challenge each other because we often have differing views on things. And I'm like, man, people usually enjoy listening to us debate one another, talk about things and and sort of push the envelope. And they're like, you guys are hilarious to listen to. You should just do, just do this. So we're like, I guess that would people would like to listen to us talk and debate things and challenge the, sort of the status quo and what we're doing in medicine. Is it real? What's the new things? coming out. Um, we try to keep it, um, since 50% of our audience is non-medical, we really try to keep it easy to understand for, for, um, lay people, non-medical people, as well as interesting enough for people in the medical profession to uh, glean something out of as well. But, um, just chatting about current topics in health and go ahead, Tim, were you going to say something? No, it's just like, and the people that we've met, like, it's just, it's crazy. Like we interviewed Peter McCullough back in uh, May of 2021. And, you know, so a year ago and I saw him through some dopey, inv- you know, COVID investment penny stocks that I was involved with. And he, he somehow was linked in some video, which I watched. And I was like, man, this guy is amazing. Like he's, he's really well-read and he's unbelievably articulated. He's really passionate about medicine. So I just emailed him. I said, you know, we have a dopey podcast. Do you want to be on our dopey podcast? And he's like, you know, his responses are hilarious. It's like, yes, send link. And I'm like, okay. And so, so we get Peter on, you know, he gives us like an hour and a half. And then, you know, like the next day after he's done with us, he, he flies down to Florida to spend, you know, two hours with Tucker Carlson. We're like, holy crap, like what's going on? And then, you know, we got Harvey Risch and Paul Alexander. And we just, you know, we learned that if you just ask, the worst thing that happens is people say no. Like, yeah. you know, so who cares? So, so then we were like, okay, well, what about stories that people find relatable with regards to folks that have had medical problems and, you know, would help kind of the average person understand some of this stuff? So then, you know, May got this idea, well, what about doctors that get sick, doctors that get cancer? So we started interviewing doctors that had had, you know, pretty terrible medical diagnoses and how they dealt with that as a physician. And then we went through opioids because, I mean, if you want to talk about the, that, the only thing that rivals COVID in complete and absolute total BS in Western medicine is the opioid epidemic. And we actually interviewed a family that are friends of ours who had a child die of an accidental fentanyl overdose. Mm. And then I'm a huge racing fan. We got Steve Torrance, who is the four-time top fuel fund, uh, f- top fuel dragster champion, who I knew had some medical problems, who battled lymphoma as a teenager, came back. You know, how do you deal with? And, and that was that story was like, holy mackerel! <laughs> I can't believe what this guy's been through, and it's really really cool. So it's 
the podcast has become really diverse in that regard, but uh, still centered around, you know, um, hope, you know, because it's really easy to be negative and just call BS on stuff, but you have to show sort of the hopeful side. And this year, because I got so unbelievably pissed off with the cowardice in medicine <laughs> that I said, well, then what we have to do, the way you, you battle cowardice is not to call everyone cowards. It's to show people that are courageous. So that's what we've been doing. We started off the year um, actually is about three, uh, two, two or three months ago with Eddie Braun, who is uh, whose lifelong hero was Evil Knievel that led Eddie into 43 years of stunt coordinating and stunt work. And he recreated Evil's Snake River Canyon jump in a steam powered rocket. That was the exact prototype. Like they just used the plans from the original rocket and it worked this time. That was amazing. It's like, aren't you scared that you're going to get hurt when you crash a car? He goes, no, I'm not scared of getting hurt. Cause I know 100% of the time I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> and we're like, Oh, okay. I get it now. He's like, no, I'm scared of dying. I'm not scared of getting hurt. And uh, you know, so just really, really fun stuff that we've gone to. And then of course, as you know, may likes the docktails with cocktails. Um, so <laughs> what's, what's it, what's it like for you guys to do this together? Is, has that been fun? Yes, we have a blast doing it uh, together. In fact, you know, it's like we'd like to do this full time <laughs> together. Um, there's times, obviously, when you you know spend a lot of time together doing things, there's always conflict because we we are two diver- diverse people. I mean, sure. like Kim's the gas, I'm the brake. He's a like type seven go getter. I'm the <laughs> I'm the type one enneagram like perfectionist, whatever, and so sometimes like the for instance like yeah the interview with eddie braun i'm like what the heck does evil Knievel stunt jumping got to do with the bs free md podcast like what just because you like the guy you know i'm like come on and so sometimes he has to convince me how we can like turn that around and um there'll be that uh technology we fight over technology you know that, that, that's where i turn into a three-year-old and i realize that <laughs> he gets she- mad at me and blah, blah, you know, cause I haven't set it up right. And so there's those little kinds of things, sure. but for the, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we know we really enjoy doing it together. And I mean, it's just, I think if people, when people listen, it's a reflection of our relationship on how we relate to one another. Yeah. Um, you just hear it come through. So no, it's kind of just really fun. Very cool. So can you give us maybe some teasers on some upcoming, you know, any big upcoming interviews that you had. I know you just had a, a, a very kind of, I guess what a lot of people would say controversial one just released about the, um, the Pfizer vaccine, which I'm about halfway through. Um, my wife and I were actually listening to it this morning. Um, so I would encourage people to go back and, and listen to, to that. But so um, give us some teasers is what's in, in the, coming up in the future. Well, you might like this, Greg. So uh, we had um, Corey Lefkowitz on our podcast before. She has a, a company called Redefining Strength. It's really well known on Facebook. She has half a million followers, but she's on all the social links. And she's a trainer and has this um, huge business and does one-on-one coaching and training as well as offers you know, all kinds of YouTube videos on e- macro hacks is her big thing, following macros as well as um, strength training. So... She's back on our show coming up and we're talking about diets slash macros and, you know, how that helps an athlete. She works with from beginner athletes to 
professional athletes and trainers as well. And she's got some really interesting insights on macros versus dieting. And um, so you, you might um, check her out. Yeah, her, for sure. That's really a fun episode. And, you know, the inside is, is that we started training with her because we interviewed her a few months ago and I was following her for years. And Tim's like, oh, this sounds interesting. So now we're both her guinea pigs and we've been doing using the macro base plan. So that's coming up. We have um, an episode. Uh, you know, oh, and then we it have- might be a warning to people, but I don't really care because we are who we are. And we decided that you got to be honest. And if people don't like it, they, you know, there's another 2 million podcasts they can listen to. But uh, since COVID kind of started this whole thing rolling and then became entirely political, unfortunately, some of the solutions to what's gone on with COVID are political. So we have a f- some political episodes. We have one coming up with Marnie Bowles, who started a website called Patriot Impact. That is absolutely as astonishing if you're into the conservative side oh actually even and, either side how you can get involved locally with your you know school board because everything starts locally if you want to impact kind of any kind of change whether it's yeah so um that story behind it does have a medical basis which is really interesting yeah she's she's great just and to- then we have this guy um, that we met um on podcast oh, matching site yeah, who has really um, discovered intermittent fasting and he is um, he's not in the healthcare industry um, he was on death's doorstep was actually he got sick uh, did he get covid and then he ended up with no 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 he had he had uh, this was just before covid he ended up with a like massive pulmonary embolus and dvts and almost died and he was already severely overweight and he's in his 30s and he talks about how he lost 180 pounds using intermittent fasting wow and his journey on getting his health—it's it's a really great story because nothing else worked for him. And you know, so we went through the whole concept of, you know, what's the best diet? Well, it's the one that works. So, in other words, if you can sustain it, whatever. Are there diets that are probably a little healthier, more muscle mass? Sure, but you know, everyone's changed their body by reducing calories. You know, what's the most effective way to do do that? And for you know, I don't know, it's whatever works for you. And for some people. Yeah. You know, the problem is most people will try and fail on two or three things. And then we'll realize it's the fourth or fifth thing that works and then they're stuck. Yeah. We've been really interested in the diet and exercise topics more lately because, you know, us personally with our lives, but our friends and patients and there's so much out there. We used to just, I used to just tell people there's no fat people in Ethiopia. So just eat less. Well, it's not that simple yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah. yeah. Well, very nice. Um, well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap up here, um, and I that time went by very, very quickly. But if nothing else, I wanted to introduce my listeners to you guys. Um, I, I like what you're doing, and just the message you're getting out there. You got a good podcast, so I just want to introduce my listeners, and we'll have to chat more uh, again later. Um, but uh, as we wrap up, uh, I, I always ask my guests if they could give us one health tip that. Uh, will make us healthier today. What would y'all say to that? And you can both have an answer if you'd like. My, I, I have a couple. I mean, I think we're going to say that similar things, but um, I have two. But my main one uh, is sleep is, um, I think, not uh, stressed enough and is underrated. And people need to sleep more because that's how your whole body recovers so that you can exercise and push yourself more so that you, um, your body repairs things. I mean, it affects everything from uh, your mood to how much weight you gain and don't weigh 
to um, their activity. So people need to get adequate amounts of sleep. It changes your health dramatically. So sleep more right. and move, move as much as yes. you can. Get off your ass and move. Yeah, for sure. Sleep and move. Those are, those are two really big ones. So, uh, well, very nice. So they, people can find y'all at BS free MD is your website. Um, just kind of tells a little bit more about y'all. Uh, and then uh, I'm sure your podcast is probably on most platforms, correct? Yeah. It's Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Google, all that. Yep. Well, that sounds great. And appreciate you guys coming on and, and uh, I encourage everybody to check them out. We will uh, thank you guys for listening and we will just talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.